Welcome to Spiritual Gold, the teaching ministry of Dr. Richard L. Strauss. I'm Dr. Mark Strauss, and these podcasts represent the faithful exposition of God's Word by my father through his 21-year ministry at Emmanuel Faith Community Church. Our prayer is that through these messages, you would be encouraged and equipped in your walk with the Lord. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. In our last lesson, we began to explore a little bit of what those blessings are. We found out that blessings are things that are spoken well of. That's the derivation of the word. There are benefits that God freely bestows on us that we give him praise for that are spoken well of. And Paul begins to delineate and describe some of these spiritual blessings we have in Jesus Christ. Now, if I would ask you tonight to list your blessings, maybe to get out a piece of paper and write down your blessings, what kind of things would you write on that paper? I'm afraid that oftentimes when we begin to count our blessings, if we ever do that, These are not the kinds of things that we put down. Like an old Scotch lady that Dr. Lewis Talbot spoke about, who went to church year after year and sang that old hymn, Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. She decided one day she was going to do that. So she got out a piece of paper and a pencil, began to write down her blessings. First thing she thought about was her cottage wasn't pretentious, rather humble, but it was paid for. She lived there rent-free. She was thankful for that blessing. The next thing she thought about was her good health. She didn't have to wear eyeglasses. Her hearing aid was in good health. She wrote down her good health on her paper. Then she thought about her little savings account. wasn't much, but it was helpful. And she wrote that down on her paper. Then she thought about her son. He's grown now, married, had a home of his own, but he hadn't forgotten his mother. He was thoughtful, he was considerate, he was kind. She wrote down her son on that that list of blessings. Then she thought about that little insurance policy. It wasn't a big one, but it gave her a little measure of physical security, and so she wrote down insurance policy. She was so excited about her blessings. It was that afternoon when the pastor came to call. And she got her list out and she said, Pastor, I want to share with you the blessings that God has bestowed on me. I've been counting my blessings. He looked at the paper and he said, these are wonderful. This is tremendous. But these are not blessings. He said, these are mercies. And there's a difference. Mercies are things that God bestows upon everybody. And unbelievers have cottages and they have good health and saves and counts that are bigger than ours and Children that are considerate and insurance policies that are vaster in their scope than we have. These are mercies. The Lord Jesus talked about mercies in Matthew chapter 5 when he talked about the sun shining on the just and the unjust, the rain falling on the just and the unjust alike. These are things that God gives to many people and they're temporal. Their, their limit is in time, whereas blessings are from God in, and therefore believers And they go on eternally. We enjoy them forever. 
And these are the kinds of things that are listed in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's begin to count our blessings. The pastor and that old Scotch woman sat down and they got out their Bibles and they opened Ephesians chapter 1 and they counted their blessings. We need to do that too. We started last time and found that God had chosen us in Him. Amazing thing. That back before the world was created, God looked down through the annals of time and He chose us. It's hard to imagine. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. But that's what He did. Then He decided beforehand, He determined ahead of time, that those whom He chose would be placed as His sons. Adult sons with all the rights and privileges of sonship. Not as children under tutors and governors, laws and regulations, but in a mature adult relationship with God. And then he accepted us in his son. And he did all that to the praise of the glory of his grace in verse 6. But it's all together under that one concept, according as he hath chosen us in him. Now we read those term, that terminology, in whom, three more times in the rest of this passage of Scripture through verse 14. And it gives us three more blessings we have in Christ. In verse 7, we are redeemed in Him. In verse 11, we are appointed heirs in Him. And in verse 13, we are sealed in Him. Let's look at those three blessings tonight. So that we can go home rejoicing in the blessings we have in Christ Jesus. We read in verse 4, or verse 7, excuse me, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. We're redeemed in Him. Now, I think most of us know what it means to be redeemed. It means to be purchased by the, or set free by the payment of a purchase price. Set free by the payment of a purchase price. Now, why do we have to be set free? Well, because we're in bondage. Now, people in, in the world to whom Paul wrote knew about bondage. There were six million slaves in the Roman Empire. People knew about slavery and bondage. But the Scripture teaches there's another kind of bondage beside physical slavery. Jesus said if we commit sin, we are the slaves of sin. In Romans chapter 7, Paul said we are sold under sin. The Bible describes us, all people who are sinners, and we learned this morning that all have sinned. The Bible describes us as bond slaves of sin, as chained in a slave market of sin. We need to be released. We need to be delivered. We need to be redeemed. That's set free by the payment of a purchase price. And the scripture tells us that we've been redeemed. As a matter of fact, there are three different Greek words translated redeem in the New Testament. And they have slightly different meanings. The first one means to purchase. Hold your, your finger in Ephesians chapter 1, please, and turn to Revelation chapter 5, where this word is used. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Talking about the 24 elders and the living creatures before the throne. And it says in Revelation 5, 9, they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. 
redeemed, purchased. It is as if Jesus Christ walked into that slave market of sin, put down the purchase price, and paid for our deliverance. We were purchased. That's what the word means, to be purchased. And notice the purchase price, please. Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. It was the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn secondly, please, as you hold your finger in Ephesians, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 and verse 13. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now that's a different word. Actually, it's the same word with a prefix that means out of. The first word is agorazo. The second is ex agorazo. It means to purchase out of. Same idea, but more than just to buy us. Jesus Christ marched into that slave market of sin, laid down the purchase price and bought us, and then took us out of the slave market. He purchased us out of. That's also part of the doctrine of redemption. Notice how he did it, please, in Galatians 3.13. By hanging on a tree. It's the same payment. It's his own death. It is the shedding of his blood. Turn, please, to 1 Peter 1.18. Don't lose Ephesians 1. You may not be able to find it again. 1 Peter 1.18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain manner of life received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Forasmuch as you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but by the precious blood of Christ. Redeemed, you see it? That's not agorazo, that's not ex agorazo, that's a different word entirely, lutrao, which means to set free. Now do you see what Jesus did? He walked into that slave market of sin, he laid down the purchase price, he bought us, he took us out of the slave market, and then he set us free. Free! We have been delivered from our vain manner of life received by tradition from our fathers, from our bondage to law, from our bondage to sin. We've been set free. We've been redeemed. And notice the purchase price again in 1 Peter 1.19. It is the precious blood of Christ. The scripture is very clear on this doctrine. In Christ, Ephesians 1.7. Let's go back there now. In Him... We have redemption through His blood. The blood of Jesus Christ purchased our redemption. The Father purposed our redemption. We saw that in verse 4. Chosen in Him before the foundation of the earth. The Son purchased our redemption. The Father planned our redemption. The Son provided our redemption. He did it through His own death on Calvary's tree. Now, redeemed people have something else. This is all under this one general concept of redemption. Because the outline of the chapter by Paul is, by, is using the ins. In him, verse 4. In whom, verse 7. In whom, verse 11. In whom, verse 13. 
I think that's the inspired outline. But under the general heading of redemption, God does something else. God does something else for redeemed people. In Him we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. If the means of our redemption was the shedding of Christ's blood, here we have now the forgiveness of sins, which is the, the blessing and the added benefit of our redemption. Forgiveness of sins. Now that word forgiveness is the word that means literally to send away. We studied this word when we were looking in Leviticus 16 at the Day of Atonement, where the high priest symbolically lifted the sins of the people and placed them upon a scapegoat and sent him away into the wilderness, symbolizing that their sins were separated from them. The psalmist said, they're separated from us as far as the east is from the west. God has sent away our sins. He did that through the shedding of his son's blood. Nothing else can buy forgiveness but the death of Jesus Christ. Because he died, the debt has been canceled. The guilt has been removed. We've been released not only from our bondage to sin, but from sin's guilt. We have been forgiven. Folks are looking for forgiveness today. It's something the world craves. They think maybe they can find forgiveness by going to church and taking communion or being baptized or by doing good deeds, or being kind to their neighbor, by confessing their sins, by learning some creed, by being involved in some denomination. The Scripture says forgiveness comes through the shedding of Christ's blood, faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Notice, please, at the end of the verse, the measure of our redemption. He did all this according to the riches of His grace. Here we have now the never-ending source of the refreshing waters of our redemption. Waters that never dry up. The riches of God's grace. How rich is God in grace? I call this the measure of our redemption because the words according to in Scripture usually symbolize a measure, a standard. This is the standard of our redemption. But yet, when you get, you get right down to it, it's measureless. The measure of our redemption is measureless. How vast is God's grace? Well, let's think for a moment. Think about your own sins. While I think about mine, the vastness of the vileness of my life, my thoughts. Now, now take that concept and... Multiply it many times over by the degradation all around us. I mean, we're God's children. God's begun to do a, do a work in our lives. In all probability, there are things in the people around us, in ungodly, unbelieving people around us that aren't found in our lives. Now, let's, let's multiply our own sins many times over by the people we see around us. And we're living in a day of proliferating sin, multiplying ungodliness and wickedness. Now, take that concept and increase it by the whole world. I mean, just, just think of the things that are going on around us by way of, of sin and, and vileness and degradation and wickedness and spread it throughout the whole earth and we can begin to imagine that kind of, of debt of sin. And now, now take that thought and multiply that by the ages of time. From Adam's sin through our present age on until... 
Jesus comes back to put down iniquity and establish his kingdom on earth. I mean, that's almost more sin than anybody wants to begin to think about. And yet Christ's death on Calvary's cross was sufficient to pay for all that sin. The entire debt. All of that guilt. Every bit of the penalty that that, that sin deserved. Jesus Christ paid it all. That's how rich God is in grace. So full of grace that the death of His Son can provide deliverance from that kind of sin. A God so great, so magnificent, so wonderful, so awesome, so full of grace certainly deserves more than a token tip of a hat on Sunday morning from us, doesn't he? He deserves our all. He deserves our total commitment. He deserves our lives totally and completely. The measure of our redemption, it is according to the riches of His grace. In verses 8 to 10, we have the manifestation of our redemption. Having in whom or in which He hath abounded toward us. That's His grace. In His grace, He has abounded toward us in all wisdom and understanding. Uh, insight, the New American Standard says. Intelligent understanding. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. The means of our redemption was the death of Christ, verse 7. The measure of our redemption. It was according to the riches of His grace, verse 7. The manifestation of our redemption, having made known unto us, verse 9, revealed unto us by His grace, in all wisdom and intelligent understanding, the mystery of His will. God has some special information for insiders. And we who know Him as Savior from sin are His insiders. And His grace is seen in revealing His plan to us, His plan of redemption. Called here a mystery. And we have to understand what a mystery is. A mystery isn't a novel about murder and intrigue where everybody wonders who done it. That is not what Paul is talking about. A mystery is a divine secret hidden in ages past but now made known to God's children. This was not made known before. There are many mysteries in the Scripture. In fact, there's several more mysteries right here in the book of Ephesians. There's one over in chapter 3 in verse 3. God made known to Paul the mystery, which, as he goes on to, to share, is the Gentiles being fellow heirs in the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ by the gospel. Jew and Gentile in one body. That wasn't made known in ages past. That was a mystery now revealed. Over in chapter 5 and verse 32, he teaches us another mystery. It's the mystery that man and woman joined together in one flesh are a symbol of the relationship between Christ and His church. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Chapter 6 and verse 19, we see yet another mystery. It's the gospel itself. The fullness of the gospel, the clarity of the gospel was not made known as it is in this age. 
Paul says, pray for me that utterance may be given me in 6.19. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, what's the mystery in Ephesians 1? Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation or stewardship or administration of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both things that are in heaven and things that are on earth. The mystery is that someday God's going to gather everything together. Everything together, both in heaven and earth, in Jesus Christ. Under His headship. It's going to happen in the dispensation of the fullness of times. When the times are going to be summed up. Now the times are going to be summed up in a period on earth we know as the millennium. Because in Revelation chapter 20, six times the Apostle Paul teaches us that that period of time is composed of a thousand years. And millennium means thousand years. And at that time, Jesus Christ will be physically present on the earth and will rule and reign on the earth. And we shall reign with Him according to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. We shall reign on earth. And, and believers from all ages shall be raised. The Old Testament saints shall be raised. And they'll be there to share in that reign. And New Testament believers shall be raised. And they'll be there to share in that reign. And we'll be gathered together, all of us, those who are in heaven and those who are on earth, under the headship of Jesus Christ, to glorify God by destroying sin and defeating Satan and reigning in righteousness and truth and peace. For that thousand years, all things will be gathered together in Him. Things both in heaven and on earth. Even in Him. He's going to do that. And we're going to share in it. It's all part of the riches of His grace. It's all part of our matchless redemption. Redeemed in Him. Verses 7 to 10. In verse 11, we meet the next Blessing we have in Christ, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now some translate this, having been made an inheritance. That is, that we are God's inheritance. That's true. That's going to be taught to us. When we get down to Paul's prayer in verse 18 of this chapter. We are God's inheritance. But I favor the idea that in this verse, it means we have obtained an inheritance. To obtain an inheritance literally means to be appointed by lot. To be assigned an inheritance. We as believers have been made heirs. We've been appointed heirs in Christ. He's the heir of all things, according to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. And we're in Him, so in Him we also become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's a phrase taken out of Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. He's the heir, we're in Him, so we're heirs too. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have been appointed heirs, we have obtained an inheritance. Now let's look at this inheritance. Hold Ephesians 1 again and go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, 
First Peter 1 3 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance here it is incorruptible this inheritance shall never decay never disappear it will always be there undefiled it's a pure holy inheritance that fadeth not away never disappear reinforced reserved in heaven for us nobody can take it away from us it's reserved in heaven for us now what is this inheritance well it may involve the place Jesus is preparing for us right now according to John 14 it may involve the fullness of our eternal life life which we're experiencing right now but into which we will enter in all its fullness when we experience heaven's glory. It may involve new bodies, which will be like our Lord Jesus' body, free from sin, free from sickness. It may involve our rule with Christ, which we've already talked about. Revelation 5.10 says, We shall reign on the earth. It may involve our rewards in heaven. The crowns will cast at Jesus' feet. Our ability to shine and glorify Him. Our rewards in heaven. It may involve all that Jesus Christ possesses. Because as joint heirs in Him, God is going to give to us all that He's given to His Son. We've, we've been appointed heirs in Jesus Christ, in whom we have obtained an inheritance. And we were, or we were determined to this inheritance according to this verse we were predestined it was predetermined it was marked out or determined beforehand according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will God who deliberates or has deliberated in eternity past by his counsel Counsel that grows out of his desires, his wishes, his will, and therefore has determined a plan for our lives. God who does that marked out ahead of time that we who would trust Christ should obtain an inheritance. That's what it says right there in verse 11. It was decided beforehand. Not according to anything I deserve. I'm not going to get this inheritance because I deserve it. God knows I don't deserve a bit of it. I'm going to get it because it was determined beforehand according to the purpose of the one who works all things. All things. Every single thing. All things together after the counsel of his own will. That's the kind of a sovereign God we know and love and serve and who will ultimately give us the fullness of our inheritance. That's the appointment in verse 11. Look at the aim of that appointment in verse 12. That, here's the purpose in view, the goal, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. God didn't give me this inheritance so I could boast in myself. He gave it to me so that I could boast in Him. Every once in a while we have one of those oil-rich Arab sheiks visit our country. And articles appear in the newspaper about all the junk he buys. 
1,500 automobiles, you know, 300 washing machines. I don't know what they do with all those things. They have that many wives. I guess they have a washing machine for every wife. I don't know. But they flaunt their riches. Now, why do they do that? So that they can brag about how rich their father is back home? No, they want everybody to know how wealthy they are. They're doing it to the praise of their own glory. Now, we're, we're children of the King. We've got all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. But God didn't give us those blessings so that we could boast in what we are. He gave them to us so that we could boast in what He is and what He's done and what He's provided. It's so easy to get caught in the trap of spiritual pride like the Pharisee in that story Jesus told he said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. We can get caught in that trap. We can even make it sound spiritual when we report what God has done through us. But we emphasize the through us, you know, because we want everybody to know that it was through us. Us with the emphasis on the us. But God wants us to give him the praise. That's why he saved us. That's why he gave us this inheritance that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Appointed heirs in Him. Finally, in verses 13 and 14, we were sealed in Him. It says, In whom, that is in Christ, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, when, not after here, but when you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, who is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. Now the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promised to send, remember He said, when the Comforter has come, who I will send from the Father, even the Spirit of truth who proceedeth from the Father, when He comes, He'll testify of me. Jesus said that. In John fifteen twenty six. if you following your memory bank program. But that Spirit who would come, and indwell the believer's heart and life at the moment of his salvation, does something else for him. He seals him. In fact, he himself, the Spirit of the living God, becomes that seal, sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Jesus promised him. He came. He has done what he promised to do. Sealed us. Now, what's that all about? We'll look first at the prerequisites of the seal says, in whom ye trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. First thing you have to do is hear the gospel in order to be sealed. You have to hear it. Unbelievers don't want to hear it. They turn the radio off when the gospel comes on in some cases. They won't go to churches where the gospel is proclaimed. They avoid people whom they think may talk to them about the gospel. But they need to hear Maybe God has appointed us, you and me, to be the ones to tell them. And maybe the only way they will hear is if we first cultivate a relationship, establish a friendship, win the right to be heard, show the love of Jesus Christ. And then they'll be wanting to know. That's how they'll hear in many cases. And that's one of the reasons God has saved us. They have to hear. Then when they hear, they have to believe. In whom also when you believed. You see that in verse 13? That's the second prerequisite. That's not just agreeing. That's not just giving mental assent. 
that is appropriating the truth of the shed blood of Jesus Christ to my own life, putting my full dependence upon Him, resting totally in Him, committing myself to Him and His finished work for my eternal salvation. That's what it means to believe. And that's essential. But when those two prerequisites are met, then we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, why does God seal us? Well, if you'll study the use of the word seal in the scripture, you'll see it has several different connotations. We won't look at other scriptures now. Our time is fleeing away. But a seal uh, tells us several things. First of all, it indicates safety. Somebody who's sealed is safe. He's, he's as if it were sealed in, in the refuge of God's protecting hand. He's safe. A seal likewise reveals security. He's safe continually. Nothing can ever touch him. Safety, security, and finally ownership. A seal is a mark of ownership. A letter in the ancient world was sealed with a signet ring to indicate authenticity of ownership and origin. We're sealed to protect us forever and to indicate that we belong to Jesus Christ. And when God seals somebody, I wouldn't think any human being can break that seal. If our sovereign, omnipotent God has sealed us, then we are sealed. We're going to talk about that in several weeks on Sunday morning. I want to talk about the doctrine of eternal security. But just turn over for a moment to chapter 4 and verse 30, where the same doctrine is taught. Maybe I can break that seal by my sin, do you think? Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. How would you imagine we would grieve the Holy Spirit of God? I would think that the way the Spirit of God is grieved is when I sin. So Paul assumes in Ephesians 4.30 that I'm going to sin, and he asks me not to. Because he doesn't want me to, neither does God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit by whom you are sealed until you sin. Is that what it says? At least shake your head and let me know you're awake, will you? Thank you. Sealed until the day of redemption. That's the day I enter heaven's glory and experience the fullness of my redemption. When my body is changed and I'm made like under my precious Lord. I am sealed until that day by the same spirit whom I can grieve by my sin. It's an amazing thing. Some folks never see that verse, but it's there. Sealed until the day of redemption. I am secure in my Lord Jesus because the Spirit of God who takes up His abode in my life will never leave me. The Lord Jesus Himself said that back in John chapter 14 and verse 16. He said, And I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. Not till tomorrow morning but forever. Sealed. That's the prerequisites. Look secondly in verse four, 14 at the purpose of the seal. Who, that is the Holy Spirit, who is the seal, is also the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now, the Apostle Paul, writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, ties it all together for us. This same Spirit who seals us in Christ, is the earnest of our redemption in Christ. Until the 
acquisition of the purchased possession in Christ, the fullness of my inheritance. Now, an earnest is a first installment. It's a down payment. It's a deposit. We all know that. We use the same word today. We use the term earnest money. It's a pledge, a guarantee that there's more to come. It's like an engagement ring. Girl wears an engagement ring. It's a promise that there's more to come. That's just the first installment. And he's probably going to pay installments on that ring and on a lot of other things for a long time to come. That's the first one. It's a guarantee that there's more to come. But the Holy Spirit who seals us in Christ is the guarantee of our inheritance. The pledge that we're really going to enter into the fullness of what was promised us in Christ. That we will enter heaven's glory and experience our glorification, glorified bodies. Notice again, please, the purpose of it all unto the praise of his glory. Did you notice as we were going through here how all these blessings center in the Lord himself? So much is said about him. See verse 5, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 9, the good, his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. Verse 11, according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory. Verse 14, under the praise of His glory. Over and over again, these promises center, these blessings center in Him. Did you notice how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all involved? We were chosen by the Father in verse 4. We were redeemed by the Son in verse 7. And we are sealed by the Spirit in verse 13. The whole Godhead is involved in these blessings that we have. And did you notice that in each case, every one of them is clearly said to have a purpose. We were chosen in him, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. See it? We obtained an inheritance. We were redeemed and got our inheritance. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory. And we were sealed by the Spirit, verse 14, under the praise of his glory. It's all for him. It's all by him. And it's all for him. And he just keeps revealing more and more through his word as to what he's done for us, what he has available to us, what's reserved in heaven awaiting us, the riches we can enjoy now and forever. Just a few here, chosen, accepted, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, made heirs, sealed, and the scripture goes on and on to relate them. They are our blessings which come to us according to the riches of His grace. Dear friends, we're wealthy. We're not paupers. We have so very much. We need to be enjoying these riches that are ours. And the next time you feel down in the mouth, a little bit blue, go back to Ephesians 1 and begin to rehearse what God's done for you and what He's given to you and what awaits you and rejoice in Him. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to do that. Enter in. To the riches of His divine grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, we pray, to enjoy these riches. To think about them. To appreciate them. To praise You for them. To live in the light of them. 
Lives of gratitude and appreciation. Lives of devotion and submission to your will. Lives that bring glory to your name. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thanks for listening to this message by Dr. Richard L. Strauss. Copyright 2020 Spiritual Gold, Inc. All rights reserved. For more on this ministry and for additional resources, be sure to visit spiritualgold.org.